Hey there, I'm really glad that you've come to check out the KZMC Weekly Teaching. My name is Ryan Yancey and I'm the lead pastor. KZMC gathers together for worship every Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. in person. You can also join us by our live stream available on YouTube. If you're from the area and you're not already connected to a church, we'd love to have you come join us. You can find the full details at kzmc.ca. It's my hope and it's my prayer that God will speak to you through this teaching. May you have a marvelous day. As Deb mentioned already, uh, Baptism Sunday is always my favorite Sunday of the year. I uh, just, I don't know, I love it. It's a lot of fun. This is uh, what it's all about. Seeing folks grab onto their faith and just step out and, yeah, take that, take that step. So it's my favorite sign of the year. But actually, I'm a little bit disappointed today. I have a fair bit of disappointment. I'm disappointed because I had this idea a number of years back, and with this kind of being, you know, my upcoming transition and, and no longer being pastor here, I had this idea that I really wanted to do, and it just hasn't worked out. And that was to have one of our baptizees come to the baptism service in a coffin. To actually have like a real life coffin, to have them set up, we'd, you know, we'd done it like out here or something, and stuck them in the coffin, had a couple pallbearers walk in carrying to the front, set it on the stage, and then go on with the service. And at some point, they would open the lid and say, hi. I actually, I really wanted to do this, and I actually contacted Colin Haskett of Haskett Funeral Homes two years ago, and I said, Colin, is there any chance at all that you can hook us up with a casket? Like, do you have any old ones kicking around, or maybe one that got damaged that's just like, we could rent it or borrow it, I don't know. And he's like, oh, he's like, that'd be so much fun, but he didn't. And he didn't have any ideas in terms of where we could get a hold of one, so I thought, well, maybe I I could ask, like, Dave Siebert or or Malin Martin or someone to kind of whip something up, and it's just kind of one of those things that I thought about, never got around to, and I didn't want to trouble them too much, and so... Never did this. Now, now, why? Perhaps it seems quite unusual to you. Why would we ever do this in terms of parading someone into a baptism service in a coffin? And where I got the idea is a number of years ago, I, I came across a, a document uh, about the early, the, the baptism practices of the early church. There was a whole number of different ideas, uh, things that they used to do as kind of rituals or, or symbols surrounding the baptism service. It's not to say that this is the way that they always did it, but just different unique ideas they had to kind of express the commitment that's being made. And one of them, and and actually, my apologies, we've done this the last couple years, but we forgot today. One of them was after you get baptized, you walk out of the water and you turn back to the waters of your baptism and you spit in that direction. Do you you remember that at baptism where we'd actually do that and we'd get into, some took great joy in horking up a good loogie and spitting in that direction because the point of it was is that it was a symbol, a way of expressing our disdain and our disgust toward the old life of sin, to where we'd come from and say, I'm I'm done with that. I'm not going to walk according to the ways of the deceiver. That's old. I'm now walking with Jesus. And so it's just a, I don't know, a silly way to kind of express that disdain. And I forgot to do that today. I'm sorry. So if, if you get the chance, maybe today as you're celebrating with your family, feel free to go ahead and do that and if, if you want. So one of the practices also was this idea of they would carry people into their baptism services in a coffin. And it really was just a very concrete, tangible way of expressing this idea that 
as we see in Romans chapter 6, that we are dead to our sin and we are made alive in Christ in baptism. That as we come in in a coffin, that's that idea that, that we are dying, we died to our old life to our ways of operating according to the flesh. And now we're actually being raised out of that death in the same way that Jesus rose out of the tomb, out of the grave, to walk in newness of life. So anyway, I'm, I'm disappointed that we didn't get the chance. If any of you ever come across uh, a casket, Dave will build one. All right, maybe that could become a, a standard, just whip out the coffin every year and the baptizees come in in a coffin. I don't know. You can do what you want with that. But it could be something kind of fun. I'm going to read to you from Romans chapter 6 today. And just, just to remind, it is, it is hot, so please feel free if you want. Like, there's, there is a bunch of shade. You'll be able to hear me back there. Please feel free to shift back in the shade if that would be helpful for you. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism in death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in death like this, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin will no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but you are under grace." So when, when folks get baptized, and when we think about this idea of being done with the old ways of sin, there's two responses that people often will give themselves to. And nobody actually says this out loud, but you see it. You see it lived out. And it's the sense, well, now I'm baptized, so I'm good to go, I'm in the door, so to speak, and I can just go on living life the way I would otherwise. In different places, maybe within our own lives, we see that of, sweet, I'm baptized, I'm in the door, it's like our, my, my rite of passage, and now I can just go on living according to the flesh, doing what I want, operating how I might have otherwise. And the other response is, to really take to heart this idea that I am alive in Christ, I am dead to sin, to proceed with life and then be like, what? Hold on. Why am I still struggling with sin? And actually to be shaken by that. Like I thought there was going to be this big, crazy, profound spiritual transformation. And that's not to dismiss that the Holy Spirit does powerful things within us in these moments. And yet we do continue to sin. 
And sometimes we're alarmed by that. We're, we're confused. So these are the two common responses. One is to say, I'm good to go, and just to continue with a life of sin according to the flesh. The other one is to be alarmed and shocked that we deal, do still struggle in sin. In verse 1 of this, this section, Paul speaks of this, and he says, What then shall we say? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Well, no. By no means. We are those who've died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? And so this, this verse kind of names that paradox or that tension. How can we live in it any longer, he asks. This year I've had the opportunity to coach baseball. So Caleb and, and Lukey, they're a uh, U8, U8 team, so these are kids in uh, grade, just coming out of grade one and grade two. And so we invite them out, and there are a bunch of baseball players. We're a baseball team. I'm a baseball coach. We call them baseball players. And we get out there, and uh, these kids aren't very good at baseball. They're not here this morning, so I, uh, they're at Grandma's house, so I can get away with saying that. But these kids are not very good at baseball. Of course, there's varying degrees and whatnot, but it's, it's chaos. It's like herding cats out there. Sometimes a kid will get a hit, and then they'll run the wrong way around the bases, other times a kid will get a hit and they carry the bat with them to halfway between first and second before they drop it. You've got baseballs flying every which way. I, I can't believe there's been no significant injuries because every single time there seems to be a moment or two where some kid whips a ball at another kid that's not watching. We've got kids like playing around in the dirt and there's a variety of skills. Some, some of the older kids, bigger kids can really rip that ball and they're just like down scratching the dirt and I'm having a heart attack if someone's going to take a a line drive in, in the jaw, and they, they don't understand yet about uh, the, um, they don't understand yet about tagging up after a fly ball, and we're not, we're not that good at baseball yet. It's been really exciting to see them grow throughout the season, but even as you would look at them and say, well, they're, they're pretty good at baseball, you wouldn't say that, but yet we call them a baseball player, and it's like their positional status, it's the label we give them, it's their position. You are a baseball player, even though you're terrible at it. And we're going to grow into this together. And I use this as an image or a metaphor for this new life in Christ. Where's, uh, I find, where's, there's Alyssa. Alyssa, you're not going to make it through tomorrow without sinning. I'm sorry to tell you that. <laughs> Whether it's a snippy comment to your, to your mom or your brother, or maybe some really judgy kind of thought, in response to someone's TikTok video, who knows what it will be, but there will be something tomorrow that you will do that's not entirely honoring to God. And it's not, I'm not just picking on you. I'm going to pick on the others at points in, in my message. It will be the same for Brendan. It will be the same for Cheyenne. It will be the same for Marshall. And it's the same for me. We are a people who struggle with sin. We have these evil desires. Verse 12 of this, this passage, it says, Therefore, don't let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Paul says this because he knows we struggle with these evil desires. He knows that even as he says you are alive in Christ, even as he says you're done with the old ways, he knows that we continue to struggle with sin. And that's where we got to hold on to this idea of our positional status. In the same way that I say to these kids who don't even know what happens to tag up at a fly ball, but I tell them, you guys are a bunch of baseball players because that's their position. That's their status. And so it is because of what Jesus accomplished for us at the cross that even as we struggle in sin, even though we're not all that loving to our neighbor, 
even though we struggle to hear the voice of God, God looks at us because of what Jesus did, and he says, you are alive in Christ. You are my child. You are a saint. He declares these things over us. Verse 11, it says, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is your position. You might, may not be living it out yet, fully. You may be experiencing it in part, but he's saying this is your position. Count yourselves, even though it doesn't maybe seem like it, count yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. This is how God sees you now. When he looks at you, when you've placed your faith in Jesus, he looks at you and he sees you as alive in him. And this is made possible by the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And so Marshall, when you sin tomorrow, whatever that may be, and you might have some ideas, maybe your mom might have the best idea of all of what that might be. When you sin tomorrow, God's not going to be looking at you and be like, oh, Marshall, like you got baptized yesterday. Come on, this isn't supposed to be happening. That's not what God's going to say to you. God is rich in mercy, and God, through his work at the cross, has covered your sin. He's paid for it. He's made you right with him, and he's going to say, there's my son. There's my son whom I love. He's alive in me. He is dead to sin. He's not going to be upset. He's not going to be surprised. It makes him sad, I think, when we sin, but he knows who he has created us to be. He's given us his righteousness. And so that's what he sees. Verse 6, it says, we know that the old self was crucified. It was put to death with Jesus so that the body ruled with sin might be done away with, that we will no longer be slaves to sin. That's our position. We are no longer slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. This is our position, alive in Christ. And this position will be fully realized someday. Upon our passing from this earth and we'll enter into life forever with God, as we enter into his presence, our salvation will be fully realized. Or maybe as Jesus returns and sets up his kingdom, he brings the new heavens and the new earth. Maybe Jesus will return before we pass away. But we will share in his resurrection. We will be made perfect. And this will be true that we will no longer deal with these evil desires. Verse 5, for we know that if we've been united with him in a death like his, we will also be united with him in a resurrection like his. That's our future. Jesus rose from the dead, had a perfect body, was sin, well, he was always sinless prior to his resurrection, but he was full of life and ready to be with the Father in glory, and that is our future as well. So how do we live in light of this? If we're declared alive, we're declared dead to sin, but we still struggle with sin, how do we hear and respond to P Paul's call when he asks? He says, shall we keep on sinning? He says, no, by no means. How do we live in light of that? And our text give us, gives us a few clues along those lines as well. The first response is to fight sin. In verse 12, it says, don't let sin reign in your mortal bodies so that you obey its evil desires. Don't offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness. So there's, there's a, a, a call to action to not offer our bodies as an instrument of wickedness. Satan, the deceiver, he, he hates what's good. He hates what's true. He hates what's beautiful. And so he wants to destroy that. And he wants to use you to destroy that. He wants to use you as a disruptive force 
in this world. And so there's this battle, and we say, no, I don't want to be used by, by Satan. I don't want to be an instrument. I don't want to be a tool in his hands to carry out his destruction in the world. And so we're going to fight sin. How do you fight sin? I, we're not going to necessarily dive into all the dynamics of it, but one of the best ways to fight sin is to confess it. Sin thrives and grows when it's kept in the darkness of our hearts, when it's kept in our room, in the quietness of our home, when it's kept out of the public eye. But when the light of Jesus shines on it, when we confess it, when we come to our, maybe our mom or our dad, our sister, our brother, a dear friend, someone we look up to, our youth leader, whoever, and we say, hey, you know what? Like, this is what's going on. And we confess it to them. We confess it to the Lord. That is a huge step in fighting sin because it loses its power. When you have the opportunity to receive the grace of God, even as you're trapped in sin, when you have the opportunity to receive words of love and affirmation from a Christian sister or brother, even as you're trapped in sin, the power of that wickedness loses, it, it, sorry, it loses its power and significant things happen. You want to fight sin, be bold and courageous, confess it, address it. Join with the words of the psalmist from Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24, when he says, search me, O God, and know my heart, test me and know my anxious thoughts, see if there's any offensive way in me that I could walk in the way of everlasting. I don't want to be used by Satan for his destructive ways in the world, and so I'm going to, I'm going to fight that sin. I'm going to tackle it. I'm going to address it. I'm going to confess. I'm going to invite God into that. So the first one, fight sin. And the second one is then offer yourselves to God. And, and I think it was just a real joy actually to hear as the four of our baptizees today, as they express their own journey, each, each one in a different way, expressed how they want to walk with God. Showing kindness at school. D different things were said. But this idea of I want to be used by God. Verse 13, it says, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. So in the same way that Satan wants to cause destruction in the world, and he wants to use you for it, in the same way our Creator wants to unleash the power, the forces of goodness in the world. He wants to bring beauty. He wants to bring truth. He wants to fill the world with love, and he wants to do it through you. God wants you to be a tool in his hands, an instrument for this. And so there's this call to offer yourselves to that. If, if I can offer any, any appeal or any invitation to the four of you who are baptized, it would be that, is to seek God and keep asking God, how do you want to use me as your instrument in the world? And, and really, like my, my mind goes there because I just get so excited about this to see with the four of you how your gifting and your passion from the Lord is going to flourish in the years to come. I can't wait in like 10 years and we'll be able to look and be like, oh man, like this is, this is how we see God unfolding his goodness through Brendan Steckley, through the unique gifts that he's given Brendan. Brendan's good with tech, he's good with gaming. When I'm with Brendan, he, sh he tells me all these things about these games that he's been playing and uh, I'm, I'm not a gamer and so sometimes I have a bit of, a bit of trouble tracking with you. Where's Brendan? I don't... There you are. Oh, hey, <laughs> sometimes I have trouble tracking with you, Brendan, but it's this fascinating world of incredible animation that you love, and God has gifted you in that. And God is going to use those skills to bless other people, to connect with other people, and I've heard you say that of in this realm of, of gaming, being a presence of peace and light to those you're gaming with. So that's just one example of seeing you guys discover what has God made me good at, what has God... Um, making me passionate about what do I love to do and how is God calling me to be an instrument of his goodness in this realm?
That's just one example. It's your love for soccer. Maybe God's calling you to be involved in, in business, or even as you expressed, Marshall, a call to be a pastor. Like, I'm excited to see whether it's that or something else, how God speaks that to you and leads you in his path that he has for you to be used as an instrument of goodness in the world. And so I'm going to leave that with you guys. I'm going to leave that with you guys to fight sin and to offer yourselves to be used by God. I'm going to invite you in the same way that I talked about the baseball players. You might look at and be like, I'm not that good at being a follower of Jesus yet. That's all right. These kids are not good at baseball yet, but we call them baseball players. That's what they are. And they're learning and they're growing and it's fun to watch. And so it is for you guys. You guys are alive in Christ. You're his kids. And it's going to be exciting to see you grow into what's already been declared for who you are. You are dead to sin. You're alive in Christ. God has spoken these promises over to you, over you. And now we're excited at joining in that and seeing you grow into it. Thanks be to God that he has not left us to be dead in our sin, but he's given us a hope and a future and the opportunity to live forever with him in his good kingdom. So let's have, we'll have a word of prayer. I'll invite our musicians to come on up. They'll uh, lead us in some worship music as we, as we finish up. So God, we, we give you praise once again. Thank you that you didn't leave us dead in our sin, that you didn't uh, leave us to our own devices, you didn't leave us stuck in the mud, but you reached down out of love to be with us. And so I pray for each one here, God, wherever we're at with that, if, if we've never placed our faith in you, we've never made that transition to being in the position of being dead to sin and alive in you. So I, I pray, God, Holy Spirit, that you would speak and stir our hearts to respond to you with faith. I pray that over each one, and, and then the rest of us, to not get discouraged, to not get discouraged that we're still learning and growing and it feels chaotic, but to trust in you in this journey as we live more fully into who you've created us to be. So guide us in that. We trust your leadership. Speak to us. Thank you that we don't walk this journey alone. We get to walk it with you as well as our, uh, our Christian family around us. Um, guide us today. Thank you for the warm sunshine, the many ways we see your goodness. We love you. And so we offer ourselves to you as instruments of your righteousness. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray all of this. Amen.